Good morning and welcome to First Presbyterian Church. A few announcements before we begin this morning. An outdoor worship option begins next Sunday, July the 12th at 8.30 a.m. at Garrison Commons, which is a green space on Garrison Avenue between 9th and 10th Streets. Bring a lawn chair and dress for comfort. We will wear masks when we sing, but you will not have to wear masks during the rest of the worship. Calm dogs and excited children are more than welcome. We're just excited to have this opportunity to worship together. And I'd like to take the opportunity to express my thanks to all the people, the singers, musicians, and readers who have made this service possible. Wikipedia says a hymn is like a song, usually religious, specifically written for the purpose of adoration or prayer, and typically addressed to a deity or deities, or to a prominent figure or personification. The word hymn derives from the Greek hymnos, which means a song of praise. A writer of hymns is known as a hymnist. The singing or composition of hymns is called hymnody. Collection of hymns are known as hymnals. Today we are learning about the origin of some of our favorite hymns through song. We start with Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. The Hymn of Joy is a poem written by Henry Van Dyke in 1907. With the intention of musically setting it to the famous Ode to Joy melody from the first movement of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Van Dyke wrote the poem while serving as a guest preacher at Williams College. He told his host that the local Berkshire Mountains had been his inspiration. Van Dyke wrote of this hymn These verses are simple expressions of common Christian feelings and desires in this present time. Hymns of today that may be sung together by people who know the thought of the age and are not afraid that any truth of science will destroy religion, or any revolution on earth overthrow the kingdom of God. Therefore, this is a hymn of trust and joy and hope. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. All thy works surround thee, earth and heaven reflect thy rays. Stars and angels sing around thee, center of unbroken praise. Field and forest, vale and mountain, flowering meadow, flashing sea, chanting bird and flowing fountain, call us to rejoice in thee. This hymn is generally considered by hymnologists to be one of the most joyous expressions of hymn lyrics in the English language.
Good morning. We begin worship today with Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His holy temple. Praise Him in the mighty heavens. Praise Him for His powerful acts. Praise Him because He is greater than anything else. Praise Him by blowing trumpets. Praise Him with harps and lyres. Praise Him with tambourines and dancing. Praise Him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. God of the past, you have carried us this far, and we thank you. God of the future, you are always ahead of us, and we trust you. God of the present, you are here in the midst of our lives, and we praise you. God of life beyond us, we celebrate your love. We worship you this day and every day, for you are the God of all time. Amen. Novelist, 
and her grandfather was an American actor. She was born in 1881. She wrote this song in 1931, and she said the inspiration was the beauty of the English uh, villages and surrounding areas. In 1971, Cat Stevens recorded this song and it became very popular. In fact, it was uh, recorded by many artists. Uh, Joan Collins, uh, Art Garfunkel, uh, Kenny Rogers, and the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, to name a few. It became very, very popular at that time. However, sadly, Eleanor did not live to see the success and the popularity of her song. She died in 1965. Morning has broken. Fanny Crosby wrote more than 8,000 musical texts in her 95 years of life. One of her closest friends, Phoebe Knapp, was an amateur musician. Upon visiting the blind woman, she brought a melody she had just composed. What does this tune say, she asked, after playing a few times. The blind poetess, kneeling in prayer, immediately responded, Blessed assurance, 
Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born in His Spirit, washed in His blood. Now engraved on Fanny J. Crosby's tombstone are words from 1 John 5 and 13. Now this is after Jesus, or Jesus is speaking after Mary, the sister of Lazarus, has anointed him with a costly perfume. Now after some objection, Jesus stopped and said, she hath done what she could. And it's not hard to be convinced that the Lord accepted Fanny Crosby's offering just the same as he did Mary's. That her hymns were a sweet aroma for showing her love of Christ. Blessed assurance.
this year our call to faith and our words of assurance. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Our prayer is on your screen. Let us pray. Creator God, by your design we are whole. Forgive us when we have been willing to be entertained but not changed. When we have allowed our insights to harden into cliches. Forgive us when we have spoken only to consolidate our own position. When we have called on you only to hear the sound of our own voices. Spirit of God, you make community from the raw materials of our lives. Bind us together as one people to live to your glory. Amen. Hear the good news. The promises of God are trustworthy and true. And God promises you are his child and he sent his son to save you. By the power of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven of your sin. Let us respond to that forgiveness by singing glory to God. song. The text was written in 1886 by a Swedish minister named Karl Boberg. From there it was translated into German and then Russian and finally into English by a missionary to the Ukraine named S.K. Hein. In 1939, at the beginning of the war, he went back to England and there he wrote two more stanzas for this song. It became greatly popular when George Beverly Shea sang it at the Billy Graham Crusades. How great thou art! It started in Sweden, it went to Germany, then Russia, then England, and then to the U.S. How great thou art! A song that has inspired people the world over.
story is in the exact words of Stuart Townend, writer of the words to this now famous modern hymn. And I quote, the song got written in an unexpected way. Keith Getty and I were at a conference together and a mutual friend said we should get together. He said how great Keith was at writing melodies and he probably said some nice things about how I write lyrics. And so we met for a coffee. Nothing particularly eventful happened, but Keith said he'd send me a CD with some of his song ideas. When it arrived, I wasn't expecting anything much from it. But as soon as I heard the first song, which was just him on the piano, playing the melody in the right hand, I thought there was something about it, something quite profound. It was a classic melody with that internal enduring aspect. I was getting to like it more and more and wondering what the song could be about. I phoned Keith and subsequently thought, this is a song about Jesus' life, death and resurrection and what that means for us. I sent the lyrics to Keith and he liked them and he suggested changing the first line. I'd started with the words, my hope is found in Christ alone, but he thought it would be great if the song began with the phrase, in Christ alone. I was slightly against it because I had this rhyme scheme going in the verse and didn't want to mess it up. I was slightly irritated, but the more I thought about it, the more I thought, yes, that would probably be stronger. So I moved it around. I actually think it was a stroke of genius because now the song is known as In Christ Alone. It's where the song begins, it's the statement you make, and it's the first thing you sing. So I think that it made the song so much stronger as a result. The song started slowly in terms of my writing. Sometimes you're just trying to find your way with the first verse, trying to find the key theme. The second verse was about his life and going to the cross. But I think that the third verse, I was thinking about the moment of resurrection. The melody was so powerful, so suggestive of that. And it was at that point I began to be really caught up in the song. It kind of meant that the fourth verse just spilled out with me saying, wow, this is what the cross and resurrection means. It changes everything. That's the power of the song. It points to what Christ went through. We get to stand before him, not because of our great faith or because doing well as a Christian, but purely and simply because of what he has done. That's why the song is helpful. That's why it means something. I always think that you should be able to say in 10 words or less what a song is about. In Christ alone is about the difference that Christ's life, death, resurrection makes to us all. That's at the core of the song. That's the journey that we hope that people will go on when they sing it. In Christ alone. Thank you.
rejected by his father, in trouble with all his employers, and he was eventually jailed and beaten and degraded. Eventually, he engaged in the despicable practice of capturing natives from West Africa to be sold as slaves to markets all across the world. This miserable seaman was brought to his senses by reading Thomas A. Kempis's book, Imitation of Christ. His actual conversion came about on a sea, uh, on sea when he almost lost his life in a severe storm. It's said that he cried out to God for mercy and miraculously the boat shifted and the cargo in the boat adjusted and sank down into this hole that was causing the ship to sink. When he learned that Christ loved him and had died for him, he was amazed. It was this grace which made him conscious that he was a sinner and then assured him that his sins were forgiven. Interesting side note. Did you know that 
All Negro spirituals can be played on just the black keys of the piano. That's because their pentatonic scale is different than our do, re, mi, fa, so. That's our pentatonic five note scale. Their pentatonic scale sounded like this. One famous tune, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Amazing Grace. It's interesting to me that these words written many years later can be put to a tune that was probably sung on those slave ships even many more years later. And how interesting it is that those two came together to, to make this incredible song that's been sung millions of times to millions of people. Later in his life, John Newton suffered from dementia. He didn't remember a lot of things, but he is rumored right before his death at the age of 82, he um, is quoted as proclaiming with a loud voice during a message, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. What amazing grace.
What a friend we have in Jesus. This inspirational song was written by a man named Joseph Scriven, who was born in Ireland in 1819. He had wealth, position, he was educated. He had some tragedy in his early life when the woman he was to marry was drowned on the day before their wedding. He left Ireland and he went to Canada, Port Hope, Canada, to minister to the people there. Some say that he made this big move because of the tragedy in his life. Others say it was because of his conversion. In Port Hope, he was sometimes a tutor, but more often he was a street preacher. He did fall in love again, but that woman married his friend, some say his best friend. He continued his street ministry. In 1865, he wrote the words to what a friend we have in Jesus, never meaning for it to be published. Somehow it made its way into a newspaper and was published anonymously. That newspaper was used to wrap a present that was sent to a woman in New York. And in New York, it came into the hands of a man named Converse. Converse was uh, a classical musician, but sometimes he liked to write songs for gospel uh, hymns. He was taken by the words of this song and he wrote the music for What a Friend We Have in Jesus. It was published and it, it had great acclaim, great popularity, but it was still a mystery as to who had written it. As Scriven lay gravely ill and dying, he asked his friend who was staying with him to get something from a bureau drawer. And when the man opened the drawer, he saw the words to what a friend we have in Jesus. And he said, did you write this? And Scriven said, yes. So the mystery was solved. Through all of his trials, his tribulations, Joseph Scriven had a friend in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus.
Lord Jesus, in you, God joined us, and you showed us the way to a faithful life filled with joy and peace. We thank you that you came to bring help. You said, I have come that you might have life in its fullness. We trust what you said and entrust to you now those who need healing. Lord, hear our prayer. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to bring peace. You said, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called the children of God. We trust what you said and entrust to you those who yearn for peace and those who work for it. We pray for peace in our homes, in our nation, and in your world. Lord, hear our prayer. We thank you, Lord, that you came to bring reconciliation. In you there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. We trust you and we entrust to you those lives that are battered by division, prejudice, and hate. We pray also for those who work to reconcile what is broken in our world. Lord, hear our prayer. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to feed the world. You said, I am the bread of life. We trust what you said. And we entrust to you those who are hungry today. Especially my prayer for all who struggle to put food on the table during this pandemic. We pray also for those who work to serve the hungry and the poor, now or missed and around the world. Lord, hear our prayer.
Let us pray. Almighty God, may the work of our hands show to all our love of you and our love for others. May our lives be a holy sacrifice that brings glory to you and that fills our lives with joy. Fulfill your purposes in each of us, that in joy or sorrow we may come before you as your children in the sure knowledge of your love for us. Amen. cathedrals is known for elaborate and colorful processions, particularly on major feast days. Some hymns were composed with processions in mind. Lift High the Cross joins these early contributions as one of the great processional hymns in the Anglican tradition. The original version, with 11 stanzas plus refrain, was written for a festival service at the Winchester Cathedral in 1887 by George William Kitchen. Lift High the Cross incorporates an important feature of processionals. The crucifer, or the cross-bearer, leads the stately procession down the long nave, lifting the cross high. Now this ritual use of the cross is a sign of the victory of the resurrection and finds a biblical basis in John 12, 32. And I, when I be lifted high from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Another influence comes from the fourth century, based on a story of the emperor Constantine with a vision in which he saw a cross inscribed with the words, in this sign of the cross, you will conquer. Constantine recognized Christianity officially as a religion of the state, providing a basis for further spread of Christianity. Every great processional hymn must have stirring music. Now, Sir Sidney Nicholson wrote the tomb crucifer for the supplement to hymns, ancient and modern, in 1916. And as British hymnologist J.R. Watson correctly points out, Nicholson showed a fine sense of the potential of the words, the relatively subdued melody of the verses contrasting with the spectacular refrain, Lift High the Cross. <laughs> <laughs> 